Today's reading is taken from Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21, and it can be found on page 1169 in the Church Bibles. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also, act also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Piers for reading for us. Um, let, me, let me begin with, um, with a question, um, which is to, <clears throat> to ask you, how much does the gospel matter to you? Um, now, I appreciate that if you're visiting today, that might seem like a rather abrupt question uh, to be posing at the very start, um, but, but bear with me as we think about it. Um, See, when I ask the question, how much does the gospel matter to you, uh, for those who've been around here for a long while, I, I know that you know the right answer. I know that you know what you're supposed to say. But, but in reality, see, see, if someone starts messing with the Christian faith, how much will it bother you? Or comparatively, how much would it bother you versus, say, someone messing with your bank account, or your health, or your family. Because you can imagine getting really upset about those things, can't you? Would you get so upset if someone started messing with the gospel? How much does it really matter to us? Well, would you fight for the gospel message? We're thinking this morning about the very heart of, of the gospel and three things uh, that we're going to think about. The gospel, it's worth fighting for. 
This gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the only way to be justified. That is, to, to be right with God. And if you're a Christian believer, then this gospel of Jesus Christ, it is your life. Um, let's think about these together. Um, first, the gospel is worth fighting for. What we just read, <clears throat> I don't know if it, if it caught you in the way that um, it, it ought to catch us. What we've just read is one of the most extraordinary episodes in the New Testament. Two apostles going head to head in open and public dispute. I mean, I mean just imagine it. Next week, David is preaching. And, and midway through his sermon, Michael or Niv jumps up and says, David, stop. No, no, you, you can't go on. What you've just said, you're condemned. You are. Condemned you are, David. Not to speak anymore. Stop that. I mean, can you imagine the mood? I mean, it'd be, it'd be a tense moment here at Christchurch, wouldn't it, if that happened? And, and that's just David and Michael and Niv. These are two apostles in open dispute. That's verse 11. When Cephas, that is Peter, the Apostle Peter, day of Pentecost Peter, you remember him, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face, says Paul, because he stood condemned. Why? Well, verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, strong word, by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, even good old trustworthy Barnabas, was led astray. Now, the Apostle Peter knew that God accepted Gentile believers. He'd had that made as clear to him as possibly could be. Do you remember that incident in, in Acts, if you, you remember it, that the sheep being let down in that vision with all the unclean animals, and Peter hears this voice saying, rise up, Peter, and eat. And Peter says, couldn't possibly do that. These are all unclean. And the voice from God says, don't call anything unclean that I've made. Three times it happens before Peter twigs. He sees what God is saying. It couldn't have been forced on him more clearly that you accept, God is accepting Gentiles, that this gospel message is breaking into them as well. So this can't be a failure of Peter's theology. Now what it is, it's a failure to act rightly on that theology. So as Paul puts it in verse 14, they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The, the history is a little bit hard to, to reconstruct. Probably it was going something like this. That these men from James, that is, they've come from Jerusalem, from James, leader of the church in Jerusalem. They've come from James and they've said, listen, there's trouble afoot in Jerusalem. Some of the really zealous Jews are being scandalized by the way that this new Christian faith is encouraging Jewish people, Jewish Christians, to mix with Gentiles. It's a scandal. And these zealous Jews say, this is outrageous. And the heat is coming on the Christians in Jerusalem. Threats, 
persecution, real trouble. And so Peter's being told, look, could you not just tone things down a bit? You know, just, just withdraw a bit from all this sort of mixing with Gentiles, because that'll take the heat off your brothers and sisters in the Jerusalem church. And so Peter, out of a desire to, to protect his brothers and sisters, withdraws. eats at a different table from the Gentiles. And Paul will not have it. Let me try and explain why. At Heathrow, they have British Airways lounges. They look lovely, or at least they do as you peer into them. They, they look very lovely and very plush, and you get lots of goodies there, and it's, it's very lovely to be in them. And I joined the British Airways Executive Club, and I turned up. And, and they said, I'm terribly sorry, sir, you, you've got blue membership. You, you, you need gold, or, or at least silver, to come into the lounge, sir. Very sorry. See, my membership wasn't good enough. Didn't matter that I joined. Oh, it was free, admittedly. <laughs> you needed gold or silver membership. Two, two, two classes of British Airways membership club members. Some could get in and some couldn't. Some were acceptable and some weren't. Some had made the grade and some, like me, hadn't. So is that how it is with the Christian faith? There's two groups. There's one who are fully acceptable, those Jewish Christians, because they've got the whole thing, the real deal. And then there are these Gentile Christians who are sort of, well, sort of tolerated, but they're not properly accepted. So if you want to be a, a proper Christian, you, you need really to add in all that extra stuff. You still do things like that? You want to be a proper Christian in our church, well, you need to have baptism done by us in our way. You want to be a proper Christian, you need to be confirmed by one of our bishops. Or in this case, you want to be a proper Christian, you've got to adhere to Jewish customs and laws. But Paul won't have that. Verse 14. Uh, Paul says, when I saw that they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, Paul says. So, so, so let's be clear about the truth of the gospel. Um, second heading. Um, we've seen that this gospel is worth fighting for. Well, what is this gospel? Well, the gospel is the only way to be justified. You, you, you get this word justified. You, you've, you've heard it. It's, it's a sort of silly way to remember it, but it's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. But it's an accurate way of remembering it. To be justified is to be completely righteous before God. And verse 15 tells us that the gospel is the only way to get that perfect righteousness. 
before God. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you get this? Couldn't be more important that there is a holy God, utterly pure, fully and wonderfully righteous, so righteous that nothing unrighteous can exist in his presence. So, so what's to be done by you and me if we want to, to dwell in God's presence, if we, if we want to share eternity with him, if we want to be acceptable to him, what are we going to do? Well, one way forward is, is what we could call the Bruce Springsteen version. You'd better be good for goodness sake, to quote a well-known song. Shape up, raise your game, keep the rules, get righteous. That's how it works with the BA Lounge. Spend enough money on British Airways flights, racking your way up the membership, moving from blue to, to, <coughs> to bronze, to silver, to gold, and you get in the lounge. But that's not the way that it goes with God. We who are Jews by birth, writes Paul, know that the person is not justified by works of the law. Can't be done. Because, verse 16, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Because no one can do it adequately, fully. You can't earn it. You'll never get over the line. The only way to be right with God is if you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me try and catch this for you. Imagine you're 14. Perhaps you are 14. And imagine that you um, there's, there's been a little bit of there's been a little bit of tension at home, all to do with bedroom tidying. Sound familiar? And it's all got a little bit serious because there's been not enough bedroom tidying. And now the, the, the sanctions um, in response to failure to tidy bedroom are getting pretty serious. This is getting high Richter stuff on the bedroom tidying issue. Anyway, there you are, knowing that this deadline for tidying bedroom is approaching, and where are you? You're out with your mates. And it dawns on you that there has been no bedroom tidying going on and you're walking very slowly home, because you know how it's going to go down. This is major consequence time for the failure to get that bedroom tidy. You walk slower and slower, putting off the dreaded moment, but eventually you arrive. You walk in through the door, flinching inwardly, waiting for the hammer to drop. And it doesn't. Your mum smiles. She welcomes you home. Your dad comes around the corner and gives you one of those really embarrassing dad hugs and says, good lad, good girl, well done. Convinced that you've entered the twilight zone, you retreat upstairs and can barely believe your eyes. Your bedroom is spotless. Every surface is clear, 
Every book is shelved. Your T-shirts are ironed and folded. As you gasp in amazement, your big brother walks past with a wide grin and a wink. It was him. He did it. And he pretended it was you. Now, I don't know where you get big brothers like that from either. <laughs> but do you see that, that that is what justification by faith is all about? Someone does it for you. They achieve what you didn't, actually what you couldn't. And on the basis of their work, you are acceptable to God. Now, you see, this is the point at which the, the, sort of the bedroom police um, kick in and get a bit, a bit twitchy at this point. Because the bedroom police say, so this is terrible. I mean, what an awful lesson. I mean, how will bedrooms ever get tidied if, if you don't learn to tidy your own bedroom? If somebody else is doing it for you, I mean, this is awful in the, in the sort of bedroom tidying business. Can't have this. And the same thing kicks in with the gospel. If someone just gives you righteousness, well, you know, that would just encourage sin, wouldn't it? Because you don't need to try and be good at all. Just be as naughty as you like and let somebody else sort it out for you. This gospel's awful. It's going to encourage sin. And that kind of is the argument of verse 17. Now, I, I guess that argument might work for bedrooms. Because we can tidy bedrooms... But it doesn't work for justification because justification is something that we can never do. Nothing that we do can justify us before God. Keeping the law was never a route to him. All the law does is enable me to see my failing. So two things about the gospel. First, it's worth fighting for. Second, because it is the only way to be justified before God. And that means, thirdly, that for a Christian believer, it is your life. Uh, there's a famous quote attributed, I think, uh, to an old Liverpool football manager, Bing Spiel Shankly. Um, uh, Some think football is a matter of life and death. I'm disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it's much more important than that. Well, the gospel really is a matter of life and death. Or, or actually, to be more accurate, it's a matter of death and life. Let's see it there in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. Now, they're extraordinary and they're precious words, but they're not entirely easy to understand, are they? Sounds a little bit like a sort of tongue twister. It is the idea of, of being caught up with Jesus, the, the believing that what happened to him, when I put my faith in him, what happened to him happens to me. You see, there is a penalty for sin. 
A righteous God must impose the righteous penalty for sin. And that penalty is, is a separation. It's a death because the unclean can't mix with the holy. So, in our sinful state, and we all are in a sinful state, in our sinful state, we are headed for separation and death. Except on the cross, Jesus was separated, and Jesus died. And to have faith in him is to say, I believe that what happened to him happens for me. That on the cross, my sinful, deserving of separation and death self was crucified. That's what verse 20 means. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That sinful, deserving of death self is gone. It was crucified. It no longer lives. And instead, I have a new life. Verse 20 a life that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because Paul sees that, Paul says, I won't set aside that gospel of grace for anything. Now, it's entirely possible at this point that you're thinking, my head hurts. This really is quite complicated. And to be honest, I find all this justification by faith stuff bit hard to follow, a bit dull. I just like to remember that God loves me. That's enough for me. Or, or perhaps that's not you. But perhaps you're thinking, I love this, all this theology. Yum. Lap it up. I love getting the details right. I love puzzling over all of the details. I try not to get too emotional about it because I find that the emotion just gets in the way of me thinking very clearly. And thinking clearly is what I'm into. And can I say that neither of those will do? Because if you say, no theology for me, I just remember that God loves me. Can you see that it's only the gospel of justification by faith that tells you what that love is like? That describes the depth and the extent of that love for you. Without the theology, you have no idea how much God loves you, what God has been willing to do for you. On the other hand, to those who, who love thinking but don't do much feeling, can I say that unless and until this doctrine of justification by faith moves you just about to tears, tears of sorrow at your sin, and tears of gratitude for the grace that God has shown you. You don't really know it yet. Because this is deeply emotional. Now we need to finish. Uh, last week, uh, after one of the services last week, um, somebody said to me that they appreciated my sermon, but they couldn't see what difference it would make in the week to come. So I said, well, I think it's one of those sort of deep undergirding kind of sermons. <laughs> yeah, that kind of shapes everything. That's about all I could think of to say, really. Anyway, it, it got me thinking. Um, and this week I, I thought, 
okay, what difference is the things that we've been thinking about and read, what difference is it going to make to you and to me in the week to come? Suppose later this week you have a really good day. I don't know, there's, there's a battle with temptation. And you resist, you hold firm. And then there's an opportunity to speak of Jesus. And you seize it. You speak with such clarity. The person, the person is, is deeply impressed and says they're going to come to church with you on Sunday sometime. And then there's a family dispute. But you take the lead as peacemaker. Wonderfully calm, wise, loving, careful words. And at the end of the day, you lie in bed and you think, that was a good day. And you sense the pleasure and the closeness of God. And then a few days later, you have a bad day. Temptation comes and you fall straight into temptation and sin. There's an opportunity to speak for Jesus and you lose your nerve. You come pretty close, actually, to denying Jesus altogether. A family dispute breaks out and your contribution is to intensify the mess with harsh, unkind, ugly words that, frankly, you're ashamed of. And that night, as you lie in bed, you think that was a terrible day. I'm such a disappointment to God. No wonder I feel so far from him. If you have two of those days, do you see what it means? It means you've forgotten what justification by faith is all about. It means you're still living out of some idea that obedience to the law is what really matters. As if the life that you live, you live by the effort of your own performance. Because if you're a Christian believer, your closeness to God, the approval that you have from Him, the assurance of His presence in your life, doesn't depend on your performance. Doesn't depend whether you had a good day or a bad day. Doesn't depend on any circumstances swirling around you. Doesn't depend on anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. So don't do that. Don't deny the gospel. Christ is your life. And the life you live this week, these next seven days, the life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, however good or bad our days might be. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we speak to you, our Saviour, uh, you who loved us, you do love us, and you gave yourself for us on the cross. Uh, you were separated. Uh, you died. 
uh, so that uh, by faith now we can say that we were crucified. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in you. Uh, Thank you for this grace extended to us. Uh, Help us to to understand it, to, to, to love it, to be moved by it, and to be willing to fight for it. Uh, for nothing is more precious to us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, musicians are going to come back up because we're going to sing uh, before, in a moment, we share bread and wine uh, as we remember this death. Um, yet not I, but through Christ in me uh, is our song as we remember all that Christ has done for us.